What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners podcast. It is Thursday. I said Thursday, November 9th. We had to miss an we had to miss a, a day yesterday. Our MVP was down, but he's back today. This is episode 220. Ryan was down yesterday, but he's back and he's full strength. He looks full strength. He sounds full strength. So I'm I'm buying. He's full strength. Ryan joins us for more. I'm John Hoover and Tulsa Randall coming in on the third segment. We're going to talk Bedlam, West Virginia. We're going to talk. Um, the latest in the world of recruiting. We're going to talk baseball, softball, basketball. We're going to start off, Brian. How are you feeling today? A lot better. A lot better. I think I uh, <laughs> I told you yesterday that I got done with radio, which is a really weird like situation of when you work the 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. slot, you almost have to make the decision if you're going to call in sick like the day before. <laughs> and yes. I wasn't sure that I was totally sick or just feeling bad or under the weather uh i was meh pretty much so i think i slept from like 11 a.m to 5 30 yesterday once i got back in and i feel like a whole new human so up and adam and look that's just what you have to be this time of year because for the next three weeks we are it's the beautiful collision of football <laughs> meets basketball and then when you get signing day it's football meets basketball meets softball and baseball is what we get everything the whole mixer yep. Yeah, it's uh, yes, yesterday, the last couple of days have been uh, a challenge to get it all in, but we're doing the best we can over at allsooners.com. I encourage you guys to check it out. Oh, you sent out a, a press release yesterday. We got everything in on the softball girls. So uh, when we get done with the podcast, you guys get done listening to us on the podcast. Go read that. Go read up on your new softball team. We'll talk about them in the next segment. Um, I said we we're going to recap OSU really briefly. Really, really briefly, we're going to recap OSU. And here's where I want to go with this. Uh, Danny Stutzman practiced on Monday. We don't know what his uh, situation was beyond that, but Brent Venable said he's going to do everything in his power to, to play against West Virginia this week, 6 p.m. That's a night game. Y'all better uh, get your, uh, you know, your no-dose and your, your, your whatever extra coffee or whatever you take, Red Bull. It's, for the me, what? it's going to be a Red Bull. The no-dose? The what's? You've never heard of a no-dose? No. Oh, yeah. Over-the-counter uh, stay-up-all-night studying medicine that uh, I used to take in college, oh. as well as something called Vivarin. You remember that? You ever heard of Vivarin? No. I have not, Revive I've, with Vivarin. This sounds like when I watch World War II documentaries, and they're just like, <laughs> well, actually, the Germans <laughs> were doing meth. Yes. And that is how the Blitzkrieg happened, is because they just gave them meth. Like that, how do you think I got through college? Drops. How do you think I got through college working a full-time job 75 hours a week at a small-town newspaper? <laughs> Revive with Vibrant. And I would wash it down with a Jolt Cola. You ever heard of Jolt Cola? No, I think that uh, when you pass, <laughs> we need to dedicate your body to science. Because I think it's probably just like the the acid of everything. Like You probably just have like metal pipes now where your arteries used to be and things like that. <laughs> oh, my God. How did we devolve into my college uh, staying up all night habits? Because <laughs> it's I didn't sleep, sleep very much. Off. We, uh, I'll, I'll say this. I think the, uh, <laughs> I think it's expired the um, statute of limitations. We used to climb over the fence at the uh, Elks Club, at the Elks Lodge in Ada, and uh, swim, basically swim all night. We'd go pick up some pretty girls and go swimming all night. Uh, and then I had a, I worked in, at a morning newspaper, which it was, it was an afternoon newspaper. So our deadline was eleven in the morning. So I would be at work at six a.m. Worked from six to eleven, putting out the paper. 
after staying up all night swimming with pretty girls at the Elks Lodge. Um, <laughs> I'm familiar I don't know how I made it this far in life, Ryan. I don't know how. It's like I'm familiar with the back part of that shift, but <laughs> I I work morning radio now, so I'm familiar with that. Although yeah. Scout the Dog and I do not have as fun a, a nightlife as you do. For us, it's like by about 7.30, I'm like, you want to toss the Thunder game on? Okay, sick. <laughs> Let's lay down. And then she's like, can we go to bed? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, me and Mrs. Hoover last night. You'll, we watched a movie, and then it was like, okay, you want to watch this Thunder game? Eh, might as well watch the Thunder game. So we did. <laughs> Call hey, uh, let's talk uh, Bedlam just to recap and, and wrap that thing up and throw it in the trash one last time. Um, something I'm going to take away from that game, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot that happened, obviously. But th- one of the big, big, big takeaways for me is I think you got your linebacker situation solved with Kip Lewis – uh, instead of Jaron Canick. Jaron Canick is an unbelievable athlete. He's got an unbelievable attitude. He's a tremendous teammate. Everybody loves him. He's still learning the nuances of playing linebacker, simply put. He'll learn. He'll get better. He'll grow. He'll be a star. I really think that. He's fantastic. But he's still learning those how to you know dip your shoulder and how to take on a block and how to read what the, where the, the backside block is coming from and stuff like that. Just the little little pieces that get him out of position, force him to miss so many tackles. But I think they got that solved with Kip Lewis coming in, having 15 tackles the other night, Ryan. Yeah, you have to feel really good about Kip, a guy, too, that still can put on 5 to 10 pounds this offseason when you think about if they do it in a way where he's not losing some explosiveness and he's just going to be an even more sure-handed tackler. You think about, too, the possibilities. This is, like, way down the road, but – uh, just missing a couple of games help Danny Stutzman decide maybe to come back to Norman and, and have a, another year of uh, tape and improvement. We saw the leap that he made from year one to year two. Well, then suddenly, if you're talking about next year, having four guys that play two spots in Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie, Jaron Canick, Danny Stutzman, that sounds like a fantastic rotation to help bridge the gap for what will be a pretty young defensive line in year one yep. in the SEC. So that's a recruitment job with Danny Stutzman. That's a recruitment job to get him to come back, a recruitment job to keep all those guys from transferring because you'll have to rotate those snaps. But shoot, Hoove, even if this week, if Danny Stutzman's able to get back into the field, which it sounds like he's progressing that way. Uh, Eddie and I talked to Steve Stutzman this morning, and Steve sounded pretty – it sounded like Danny was going to give it a go on Saturday. And so even if Danny can't go 100% of the snaps or whatever, remember back to that West Virginia game last year where it just felt like all the linebackers, Aguebu, uh, Deshaun White, and Stutzman were just dead tired, run on empty by the fourth quarter. Yep. Now yep. you've got four guys to rotate for two spots. That should keep those guys healthier and help uh, work Stutzman back slowly into that rotation and not feel awful about a drop-off because Kip Lewis was exceptional. And and Kobe McKenzie had a little stuff dropped into coverage that still looked like a guy that needs a little bit more work on that. But he's a heavy hitter as well, and you're not as worried about that kind of threat playing West Virginia um, as, as you would have been for like a Kansas or a UCF. As long as we're talking about Stutzman, uh, let's ask the question, what are the Butkus people thinking? What You, you got 12 semifinalists and Danny Stutzman's not one of them? That's that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I I was su- just surprised because like the central role he played in that Texas game, a game that everybody was watching. Mm-hmm. It's impossible not to see the Danny Stutzman's. So you, it's like it's not like he's gone under the radar by any means. His numbers, his play, and National Player of the Week against SMU. Yeah, and like the the off the field stuff too. 
I, I find it really hard to believe that just because he was hurt for a game and a half, like if anything, right. Oklahoma's defense, while it did a, a pretty good job against Oklahoma State, they didn't get that final stop against Candace. They didn't get that final stop against the Cowboys. If anything, yep. like doesn't that show you just how important Stutzman was to that group? Yeah. So this weekend is the first of uh, two um, All-American Selection Committee get-togethers with the uh, Football Writers Association of America. And I'm the one of the two Big 12 guys, voters, I should say, uh, selection committee members, who would basically our job is to recommend people from our conference, the conference that we cover, right? Uh, I think we can say Cooper Beebe is going to land on that list. I think we can say Jer- uh, the, um, Danny Stutzman's going to land on that list too. I'm going to recommend Danny Stutzman for All-American. And one of the reasons is I looked at uh, – I always start by looking at – my, my nomination process. And I look, look and see, okay, what are the names that are out there? I want to see the names, um, see if everybody's on the same page as me. And so I'll start with the all America midseason all America teams. There's like 15 midseason all America teams out there right now. Um, and they're all reputable. They're all good. Um, you know, done by writers who know what they're doing, know what they're talking about, know what they're looking at. So I, I trust them, but there's just so many. And so I took 10, I took 10, Midseason All-American teams. Danny uh, Danny Stutzman was first team midseason All-American on seven of those ten teams. Uh, Cooper Beebe, I think, was eight or nine. I'm gonna have to go back and look, but you see what I'm saying. I mean, the it's easy to spot the first teamers. It's easy to spot the obvious ones, and Danny Stutzman is an obvious one. Um, he's got more tackles for loss right now than anybody else among the twelve Butkus semifinalists. What else do you need to know? Crazy. Especially playing in a defense that everyone knows this isn't a new thing. Yep. Uh, Brett Venables, linebacker guru, the linebackers are essential to everything a Brett Venables defense wants to do. And he, he's been the heart and soul of that. And so Brett Venables, I thought, you know, I, I, I'm glad it was asked to Brett Venables on Tuesday what he thought about that. I thought that he gave kind of uh, basically what you would expect, that he's not super worried about that, all that stuff. And again, on radio, we, we talked to Danny's dad, and he said that Danny's dad was actually the one that when he called him, he, he broke it to him. And basically, Danny is – there was a human moment of kind of being a little bummed, but he's he's focused on the team stuff and all that. Yeah. And so um, it, it'll all be really, really interesting. I, I am now suddenly fascinated uh, with what this kind of midseason injury does for the should Stutzman come back or not because – uh, the way that his season was going, I think it would have been full speed ahead of like, I don't know what else you're going to prove, Danny, unless you want to come back and right. win, which go for it. Like, it, it seems right. like he really enjoys play, being in Oklahoma and playing under Brent Venables. Totally get that angle of it. But from like the purely business NFL side, didn't know what else. But if you can come back and do that for a whole season in the SEC, everyone's going to look at that tape a little bit different. And here's the thing. Uh, you look at somebody like uh, Kenneth Murray. These guys are steeped in the Oklahoma linebacker tradition, right? The, the big ones, the first rounders, this, the pros, the guys that are going to play a long time. Um, Rocky Kalmus came back this year, and I think he's met Rocky before, but, you know, Teddy Lehman's always around the program. Boz has been back like 15 times this year, you know, cutting videos and standing up, and he even cut his hair, remember, with the, uh, the Bedlam uh, Mohawk to, uh, to honor Stutzman is what he told me in the men's room the other day at, in Stillwater. So I think Danny is like, this has been something that's on his list. This is some, one of those things because you're steeped in the program. You're steeped in the, who started the Butkus? It was Boz. And then they win it in, uh, was it 0203? 
0102. Yeah, 0102, I think. I, I, they run together, obviously. Or was it 0103? Anyway, uh, Teddy and and um, and Rocky won it. You know, not, if not back-to-back years, then, then separated by one, two, and three years. Anyway, where I'm going with this is this really, really means a lot to him. So I could see, number one, he's bummed. Number two, maybe he's motivated to, like you said, come back. Um, we'll see what the NFL people say. Because the NFL people told Kenneth Murray, yeah, don't worry about the Butkus. You need to go. You need to be a first-round pick. And he was, and he's been very good since. Um, let's talk about another position coming out of the Bedlam series. Oh, oh what do you got? What do you got? I just, here's, here's part of uh, Brent's answer about Danny Stutzman. And Brent Venables has been around a bunch of those really great Oklahoma linebackers and a bunch of great linebackers in general. Quote, he's a fantastic linebacker has a chance to be as good as we've ever had. Ah, that's a dang, that's a worm on a line right there. Come and get it. Yeah. Come Brent Venables it. doesn't just toss that out about any, right. you know, like Brent Venables. Right. Does he do the build up his roster, build confidence through the media? Sure. He does not at the linebacker spot, throw out the phrase has a chance to be as good as we've ever had. Yep. Uh, if he does not believe that that's a possibility. Right. I, that's a good point, Ryan. Um, Let's uh, let's move on to another position of need coming out of the Bedlam game. Um, Brent said yesterday or Tuesday at his press conference, he just offered it up. He was talking. He was just talking, right? He was answering some question, and he just decided to say, I'm not going to go into it right now, but we have an area on the team we need to get better at, to which my, my immediately was like, slam on the brakes. Wait, go back. Go back. I want to look at that again. Uh, who are we talking about? What position are we talking about? We don't know exactly, but I think we can infer it's it's either tight end, most likely tight end, or it's kicker. But he came out later and said how great Zach Schmidt was at making extra points. He's 45 of 45 and 100 of 100 in his career, by the way. So you guys that um, are on the kicker, Brent wants you to back off because he's making all his PATs. Um, we'll get into that in a second, but because that wasn't the only kicker he mentioned out of the blue on, uh, on Tuesday, but what are your thoughts on, let's just presume we're not breaking any news here. We're not reporting anything, but we're going to presume he was talking about the tight end position because bless his heart, Austin Stogner just struggled big time, uh, against Oklahoma state. Yeah, it actually, in the moment, Hoove, it wasn't the first position group I went to mentally. And the first position group I went to mentally was, was he talking about maybe some of the backup corners just because they're so young because they're having to throw a ton of true freshmen out there. Because yeah. um, once Gentry went down and Kenai Walker had a pretty up and down game in Lawrence and all that stuff. But then I remembered the reason I didn't initially go to the tight end is because when I think about Oklahoma football this year, I don't even consider the tight end. Like, I understand that they're out there, but I, yep. this is going to sound harsh, I don't mean it to, it's been a wasted roster spot on the field for a majority of this season. There's not been any kind of consistency with like, hey, Stockton only has three catches a game, but they're big third down spots or stuff right. like that. And Stogner, if you go back and watch this Bedlam game, he spent more time as a blocker looking behind him with his hands on his hips because he was getting beat and plays were getting blown up. And there was no other answer. Blake Smith has just been what we kind of expected, which was he was a non-factor at Texas A&M. He's really been a non-factor at Oklahoma. Caden Helms has been hurt. Jason Llewellyn 
was subtweeting during the game. He he quote yep. tweeted an OU Barstool tweet. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't travel. Fan Add the context Lowe. there, Ryan. Give us give us the context of what Llewellyn. Yeah, said. It, it, it looks I, like, I, from the outside looking in, it looks like Llewellyn might be planning to hit the transfer portal. Yeah, OU the OU Barstool account tweeted something on the lines of just it, just how do there's not a, t- a tight end that that is making an impact or something like or why do you keep rolling them out there? And Llewellyn just quote tweeted that with a hmm period. It was later taken down, but that happened yeah. during the game as a guy that didn't travel. Right. Um, outside of hitting hitting on Devon Mitchell in the recruiting game, I'm not sure what Joe John Finley has done this year, truthfully. Right. Uh, they had the opportunity to go after some guys that had some regional ties. The North Texas tight end was in the portal, who's pretty athletic. Uh, instead, they settled for Stogner, which that would make sense, right? Some familiarity. But like the second guy you got and get can't be a Blake Smith who has really made no impact in college football because Stogner, like people that were at Oklahoma should have known he was not the same guy physically after his really, really scary situation at the end of 2020 and South Carolina, like there were quotes out of South Carolina that they thought they got more athletic and all around better by not having Austin Stogner in their tight end room. So uh, that's been a huge issue. And, and I think compounded on that, is that not only has that not been a position that has affected anything, Jeff Levy insists on rolling a tight end out there regardless. Like, just go for why or put an extra running back out there. Why yeah. are you in- persisting with knowing that you're basically sacrificing a right. guy that's not helping? He's not a threat in the receiving game. And so when you put him out there and he can't block, he becomes a liability. You're playing 10 on 11. Um, and we're, we're, you know, bagging on his blocking. He's trying his, he's trying his best. He's absolutely trying his best. Something's wrong. He's not mobile right now. People are beating him with one little step. And uh, what you're seeing is Drake Stoops getting taken down for a six-yard loss on third down, uh, you know, that forces a 51-yard field goal instead because because the DB went under Stogner's block and Stogner's pushing him into the, into the ball carrier. That happened three times where he was behind the guy and, oh, there goes my guy, waylaying the ball carrier again. And that that will get you beat. And it did. It got you beat uh, against Oklahoma State. So what's the answer, Ryan? Uh, four wide, you think? Yeah, or the fact that you haven't been able to settle on a running back and they are contingent on doing a bunch of weird crap with them. So just throw Sawchuck and Tommy Walker out there or put Barnes and Sawchuck like out there. Yep, I, I, I like it. I thought that all three of Sawchuck, Tommy Walker, and Javante Barnes were pretty good in the mo- the few moments they were called upon, kind of in pass pro against Oklahoma State, which hasn't been a strength of that group all year long. Before Texas, I thought that Merrimax had been pretty meh in, in pass protection, and since then, I, I think they've been really good. So um, you finally have gotten some momentum rolling in the running game. Feels like you've gotten Sawchuck healthy and online a bit. Uh, Tommy Walker feels like he's going to get a little bit he- healthier. I don't know if he'll be 100%, but... Brent Middles also said he was a guy that practiced on Monday. It sounds like he's practiced pretty consistently this week as well. Um, And so you've got that option. If you don't necessarily want to go four wide or whatever, I think that that would be more effective. But it kind of goes back to two. You got Jaden Gibson, who's 6'5", Nick Anderson, that's 6'4". You can put two wide receivers on the field who are really big bodies who give you some of the matchup issues that a tight end, you know, kind of traditionally poses to a defense without them actually being tight ends. And, and those guys can actually go and go out and catch the football because they've shown us that they've done that this year. Yeah. Um, Stogner had a couple of good games early in the season uh, in, in terms of blocking. Um, I'm looking at his run blocking numbers. 
Uh, he was up in the 70s and the 60s. Uh, we're talking pro football focus grades here. Uh, pass blocking, similarly, 70s and 60s early in the season. But everything has kind of declined. Uh, you look at his overall grade, he's he's dipped. It's kind of remarkable. He's dipped a little bit every week. Uh, and I'll give it to you. From week one to week 10, 65, 57, 56, 52, 51, 51.3. Uh, so down a tenth of a point. Uh, 49.7, 49.3, 48.3. So he's having his worst game of the year every week. So it's it's what Brent Venable said. I mean, we're sitting here going back and forth on it, but it's something that Brent brought up on his own, unsolicited, unasked in the press conference. We've got a position that's struggling right now. We got to do something about it. So just want you all to know that uh, that's where we stand on it. Um, his grades were pretty solid earlier in his career too. And that's the, that's the crazy thing. He graded out offensively at an 85.2 in 2020 on pass plays. He was 87.3 uh, pass plays grade this year, 44. So. And I, I think that part of that also should fall back on Jeff Levy of. Yes. Not knowing how to use them. Yeah. If, one of the big things about coaching is don't ask guys to do things they're not good at. That's what it sounds super simple. Uh, but as our friend Kelly Gregg, he, if he said it once, he said it a billion times. Football is a simple game made complicated by coaches. If you know you're struggling with say an Austin Stogner having a bad game, having a bad stretch of games blocking, why are you running a play that's contingent on him sealing off the inside? Like that yep. to me, that's the no brain. If you're going to put him on the field, Ask him to do things that uh, play to his strengths. And right. certainly don't run plays that require him to be nails in the blocking game for them to succeed because you're setting yourself up for failure. I'll tell you this, though. If you start putting those running backs uh, out there, flexing them out, or, or you start putting them in the backfield as an adjustment, okay, now go block that dude. You're going to ask Gavin Sawchuk with his you know, 10-7 speed or whatever it is, 10-8, 10-9 speed to go out and block the edge uh he's going to transfer really quick <laughs> yeah well it, it's like the same thing of i know it sounds like a, a pile of one guy like you wouldn't and when angel anthony went down the consideration was not to split drake stoops out wide and have him try and run go routes to beat right. the defense why because that's not what he's most successful at uh so similarly don't be asking those guys to do that and hey maybe uh oklahoma fans can finally get their wish out of all this Maybe it just stops the horizontal crap behind the line of scrimmage, which has just largely not worked. Yeah, agreed. Where I was thinking when he said we've got a we've got an area on the team, he didn't say position. He said we've got an area on the team. First thing I thought of was running back, and I dismissed it immediately because well, the you know they've fixed they've solved that. It looks like the you know you get Tawi Walker healthy, you finally get Gavin Sawchuck going. Your your running backs are fine. The next thing I thought of was is it somewhere on the coaching staff? Not trying to be funny. I'm asking the no, question. You've had, you've had sideline coaching penalties, 15 yarders the last two games that were costly late in the game on touchdown drives. Coaches got to pick the, pick their game up a little bit. Yeah, coaches have to. I, like it's widespread. They've had, what, two sideline mornings in the non-conference. You had the 15-yarder on the bench in Lawrence, the 15-yarder on Venables in Stillwater. That stuff can't keep happening. You've had some frustrating play calling games from yeah. uh, from Jeff Levy's perspective. That can't keep happening. You've had Brent Venables blow, not calling a timeout on two straight 
fourth yep. down situations, one on offense, Coaches. one on defense in the last two Coaches weeks. It's got to get better. That can't keep happening. Like it, it's a bunch of little stuff. And when you turn the ball over three times and have five trillion false starts, you're going to get yourself beat and all the little stuff. Brent Venables is exactly right. Like all this stuff, you get the microscope out when you start losing football games. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember, Ryan, who came up with the statistic. Was it, uh, golly, was it, oh, it might have been Brett McMurphy. I hate to give credit where credit is not due, but uh, it might have been somebody like that. I think it was a national guy. Said this is the fourth time Brent Venables has lost back-to-back games in less than two years, which matches the entire stretch, the entirety of Bob Stoops' tenure and Lincoln Riley's tenure, 23 years combined. Wow. The, the, you talk about the Oklahoma standard not being met. That that said, you can't drop back to back games. You can't you, you can't go six and seven, first losing record since John Blake, right? But now you're getting into territory that goes back into that realm. Man, I don't know. There's the coaching staff's got a long way to go. I think Brent's got a long way to go as a head coach. I think we're finding that out uh, in game situations. You want to get on to West Virginia? Shall we get on to West Virginia? Let's do it. We're on to West Virginia. How's that? Is that enough? Is that good enough? I was a little surprised at that uh, that tenure or that uh, tenor in the press conference when George Stoy asked that question about something that he discussed, something that he openly brought up the night before on his coach's show Monday night, and then he shows up Tuesday and gets asked about it, and he he doesn't want to talk about it. And I told you guys this. I, th- I think I told y'all this. And it's about the cut was about. The Oklahoma had a Rolodex of plays yeah, on the fourth down call that would have been better. Mm-hmm. Which, so that fourth, fourth down call was brutal, and it got worse, and it wasn't executed right. Brent Venable said at his coach's show, show Monday from Rudy's Barbecue, right, to Teddy and Toby and all the fans, we had a Rolodex of plays that's better than that one. That's pretty harsh if you're a head coach and – you're talking specifically about I, – I think Brent's tent, uh, intent there was to say the coaches have to be better. The coaching staff has to be better, not that damn Jeff Lebby. That was not his intent. I, I know Brent well enough to know that he did not intend to throw Jeff Lebby under the bus. He was probably grouping all the coaches together. But, again, I'm not breaking any news here. I'm not reporting anything important. But my suspicion is I suspect – that Brent got a call um, Tuesday at some point from the man himself, Bob Stoops. That's what I suspect. I'm just wildly guessing here that Bob probably called Brent and said, Brent, please don't throw your offensive coordinator under the bus like that. Did you listen to that live on Monday night? Live, no, I was doing interviews with players. I went back and watched it on the uh, ESPN Plus. So interesting because so we on Monday nights we do interviews with players, right? And then I was bounced over to OU basketball, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, I listened back to they put out the podcast version. That's usually my yeah. Tuesday morning up to the station and back uh, to the press conference. This is the podcast version. I did not hear that comment. It was uh, cut it out. It was interesting. I was wow. listening for it to listen to all the context and all that stuff. So I've certainly read about it, and I know that uh, uh, plenty of members of the OU Beat listen to that live once they yeah. are done with the players. Uh, weirdly enough, I I never heard the Rolodex comment via the podcast version. So I should have I recorded it. So perhaps yeah, I need maybe to go I'm... back and, and double check. Maybe I just was driving and missed it. But uh, yeah. 
Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Joe Castiglione called him and told him not to throw his offensive coordinator under the bus. It was, <laughs> right? it was just a very clear, um, like, like literally two weeks ago, uh, Brett Venables was asked, you know, Jeff Lee was catching a lot of heat from the Kansas. And while yeah. Brett wasn't criticizing him, he's just like, it's Oklahoma. Like, we have this pressure, all that stuff. And he was happy to talk about, like, I, I need to do stuff better. Everyone needs to do stuff better, stuff like that. That was not the tone on Tuesday. The tone on Tuesday was, let me read you all these statistics and where we rank in total offense and all that stuff, like a, a full-throated, from-the-podium endorsement of what they're doing offensively, um, which was just different. Because Brent hasn't – he has not criticized him um, from the podium right. uh, this season. Last season, he had like a jokingly like, hey, that play, run it again. You know, as like the yes. – as a, as just a defensive coordinator, stuff like that. Run but uh, this year, he, he had not criticized Jeff from the podium on Tuesdays. I just thought it was interesting that more than any week, Brent just basically shut that down. It's like, let me read you all the good things. Well, you said it best uh, on Tuesday, I believe, when you said earlier in the season, Brent kind of got in our butts a little bit about not watching or listening to or monitoring the coaches show. He kind of he kind of said, you all don't watch the coaches show? That's media. Isn't that media? Don't you watch the coaches show? You should watch the coaches show. He said that at a press conference, kind of got in our butts a little bit about not being aware of something he said or an angle he took or a phrase he used or whatever it was. I don't remember. But here's the deal. You said it best. You said he wants us to to keep up with what he says in the coaches show. And then when we do and he says something newsworthy, he pulls back and he, he doesn't want to talk about it at the press conference. He comes up with the Bill Belichick thing. We're on to West Virginia. Said that twice. How you say one thing, Brent, is how you say everything. Even if you're saying it to your former All-American linebacker and your media guy, uh, Toby Toby Rowland extraordinaire, right? Even if it, you're saying it to a friendly audience at, at Rudy's Country Store and Barbecue, right? That stuff's going to get out, and it becomes uh, newsworthy when you say it to them or you say it to the press at the formal press conference the next day. It's just something. It's another one of those things that Brent's learning as a head coach. Hey, I I didn't maybe intend for that to get out like it did, but everybody took it and ran with it. Well, you know what it really stems back to. He was asked about the fourth down call about not using a timeout in Stillwater after the game. Yeah, his response was, "I like the call. Thought yeah. we were good with it." And then. 48 hours later, you come out and say, yeah, there was a Rolodex, a better play. So did you like the call? Right. Did you not know what the call was? That's possible. All that stuff. Same thing with the Javante Barnes. It was not supposed to be a direct snap. Well, Eddie Radosvich has phenomenal video from looking straight into that play. That ball goes directly to Javante Barnes. And then Javante Barnes immediately is like, oh, God, oh, God, let me keep trying to run this play. But he just totally like lost his head for a half a second, trying to give the ball to Dylan Gabriel, and it just got all blown up. I'm just like, it it may not have been a direct snap to Javante Barnes, but it certainly seemed like Andrew Rain thought it was a direct snap to Javante Barnes, and Javante's hands were up. So, again, it stems back to he wants to be very involved with the defense. That's fine. You can't have an offensive coordinator that has done two years total without someone – breathing over his shoulder if you're going to do all that with the defense because Jeff Levy for as explosive as offense has been cannot be trusted to run this offense totally by himself without any kind of oversight it's been a disaster 
That's oh, what that's right. last year was with the yep. 90 seconds are out. Yep. He's proven that. Um, speaking of Rame, he said, Hey, I can take credit for one of the, I can take the blame for one of those bad snaps. I, I don't think I can take the blame for both of them. He executed exactly what the play was called, which is the, the snap right up here in the chest to Javante Barnes. And it went through his hands and became a disaster. The other one, he said, yeah, I'll fall on the, I'll fall on the grenade there because that was a low snap and it was, and it was quick and it was early. It was before. And he said the, the crowd got to him. Ryan, let me ask you, have you ever heard of player and a coach offensive coordinator say, and, and maybe the offensive coordinator got it over the headset from, from Rame himself or from Dylan Gabriel via Rame. I don't know on the, on the sideline, maybe the communication process there is that Rame said, coach, I couldn't hear the snap. I couldn't hear him clapping. I couldn't hear anything he was saying. I, I panicked and snapped it. Uh, that's what it sounds like. I've never heard a guy say, yeah, the crowd took me out of it. The crowd got to me. That's just giving too much credit to the other team's fans, and they're going to do it again. What do you think the uh, BYU is going to do when they go on the road? This is the same guy that screwed up a snap in the Texas end, uh, and Dylan Gabriel just happens to be able to pluck it off the, yeah. the turf and throw it away. You remember Had a couple of high ones early in the season? Yeah. You remember last year? It felt like Dylan Gabriel was pulling snaps out of the dirt left, right, and like Andrew Rame's not good at snapping the football, and no, he's a third-year starter. I'm kind of done with any of the excuses of, oh, well, the crowd noise, whatever. You're a third-year center. You've played in Boone Pickens before, right? right? right. Like you've, you've played on this stage. I, I don't understand how over and over that becomes a thing. It, if Caden Green, who played really well as a true freshman at left guard beside you, is handling this thing, you shouldn't have to be worried about the crowd noise and all that stuff. I said we were going to get on to West Virginia. We didn't get on to West Virginia. I got some stuff, though, about West Virginia you're going to want to hear. Plus, we're going to discuss the uh, – coming up, we're going to discuss the SEC scheduling models for 2025 and beyond. I'll ask you this. Did we get a sneak peek at it today? I'll let you know. Plus, yesterday was National Signing Day. If you're interested in basketball and softball, and I know you are, we're going to tell you all about it. Plus, um, golly, we might even get into what's going on at USC. Maybe. Because I think this is worth discussing, too. Things there, I can tell you, are not going to get better anytime soon. All that's next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. If you're on the Twitter... Give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. I'm at John E. Hoover. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. Uh, follow Ross. He's got an N on the basketball team, don't forget. So uh, you're going to want to follow Ross. Ross Lovelace is his Twitter handle. And Randall is at Randall Sweet 5 and he's our recruiting guy. So follow him if you like the recruiting. 
The website is allsooners.com, Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Remember, we're all free at All Sooners. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards needed. This segment of the All Sooners podcast is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. And I got a quick question for you. How much of your retirement savings are you willing to lose? Think about it. You gonna you want to lose all of it? You want to lose some of it? Or would you prefer not to lose any of it? I know which one I'm picking. If you're already nearing retirement or you're already in retirement, the math and science studies have proven, guys, that a few bad market years could wipe away the kind of retirement you've dreamed of. How much would that suck? But there is a, a way to safely grow your money and not have any market risk. All you got to do, you can turn your savings into guaranteed lifetime income. Think about that. Wow. Um, Infinite Asset Advisors not only helps you plan for retirement, but they also show you how to become debt-free before you get there. They are experts in financial planning, retirement planning, and even estate planning. Just visit the website, infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn more. Plus, you can always email the guys at team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or just give them a call, 512-710-0130. How about that? All right, we're on to West Virginia, Ryan. We pitched it, we teased it, we said we were going to do it. Now let's do it. On to West Virginia. You know how tough West Virginia is this year? They're a lot tougher than you think. They're a lot tougher than you look, and they're a hell of a lot tougher than the 14th best team in the Big 12 Conference, which is where they were picked dead last behind Houston, behind Cincinnati, behind BYU, behind UCF, and Baylor, and TCU, uh, Texas Tech, and all the... They were picked behind everybody. Guess who's not behind any of those guys? West Virginia. Get some of these numbers, Ryan. You're going to love this. Number 29 in the nation in fewest penalties per game. 37th in fewest penalty yards. Uh Uh-oh. That's where Oklahoma struggles the most is penalties and penalty yards. That's a matchup that goes heavily in West Virginia's favor. Uh, They're sound in in the special teams. And they're also excellent in the special teams. They blocked three kicks, number four in the country in block kicks. They are, uh, let's see, punt return defense, number nine in the nation in covering punts. Not going to get anything there. Uh, West Virginia is averaging almost 34 minutes per game. They're number four in the nation in time of possession. Uh Uh-oh. That means you got to maximize your possessions and score a lot. Score when you have the football. You can't play around and miss field goals, and have turnovers. They're number two in the Big 12. They're number 12 nationally in fewest sacks allowed per game. Did Oklahoma have a sack in their most recent game? No, I think that uh, Tom Green, uh, our friend at 247, crunched the numbers. Oklahoma sackless two games in a row, the first time since 2004. Wow, really? 2004? It's good stuff by Tom. Holy cow. I didn't realize that. Uh, West Virginia is also rushing at 218 yards per game. That's number seven in the nation. Uh Uh-oh, it's a bad matchup for OU. Every time I said, uh uh-oh, it's a bad matchup for OU. You also see Garrett Green, the quarterback, who, what, he wear Vaseline on his jersey last week, uh, last year's game in Morgantown. He was untackleable at times. Um, Garrett Green is number four in the nation in passing yards per completion, 16 yards per completion, 15.93. Uh-oh, those are all bad matchups for Oklahoma. Yeah, and it, it seems like in a weird way since the bye week, Hoove, every single week Oklahoma's facing 
either a top 10 rushing attack or Ollie Gordon, who's the top one running back in college football right now. Um, and it's yet again, I, it was one of those things that because probably I caught the Morgantown flu that I have tried to delete that weekend from my memory from a year ago, just because of it. I admit I literally missed Bedlam last year, which, uh, I, I don't like missing work or things like that, but Oklahoma simply could not stop Garrett green. Once he entered the game, like the worst thing for Oklahoma was seeing JT Daniels, the starting quarterback stay on the sideline and, Everything you talked about right there, Hoove, is everything that popped up in that final possession. The Mountaineers basically stayed on the field for six and a half minutes just to set up a game-winning chip shot field goal, which they executed to perfection. And now it's going to be Oklahoma. Like the, the worst nightmare, I think, for an Oklahoma fan should be hearing that a team wants to come in and shorten the football game and make every possession matter because Jeff Levy has like five possessions a game that you want to just fire into the sun and never hear from again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. A um, couple of quotes from Neil Brown. Does he still use the preseason poll for motivation? He says, I think motivation is important. It's uh, it's something that we'll keep in, we will keep in front of them because until the year's over, we still have something to prove. It all starts with what people thought of us. That's what they thought of this program at the start of the year, and we're out to prove that wrong right up until the end. Uh-oh, a <laughs> team Oklahoma's facing that's motivated to beat them. Ryan, you noted earlier in the week or earlier in the season that uh, OU has made a, a habit out of losing their final game ever to somebody. Could this fall in that? OU's a 12, open as a 13.5-point favorite. I think it's 12.5 right now. Could this fall in that category as well? It absolutely could because Oklahoma's been about as undisciplined as you could get the last couple of weeks, whether it's penalties, false starts, Jill Fruit line up a yard offside because they're trying to go so fast that he can't get himself set, whether it's turnovers. You think of the six turnovers in the last two weeks who uh, both snaps, whether they were Andrew Rams' fault or the fault of a running back not knowing what's supposed to happen, those – Oklahoma State did nothing to cause that defensively. Right. That is just Oklahoma taking out a big roughneck shotgun and firing its foot off uh, twice. Marcus Stripling not being able to, to catch the kickoff in Lawrence. That is a good spot by Kansas to recognize that situation and to, and to kick it there. But Oklahoma controls who they put on the kickoff coverage team. They put a guy out there who then panicked. That's an Oklahoma issue. Like, Half of these turnovers should be wiped away and should not have happened. Uh, and so it's a team that's trending in the wrong direction and discipline, all that stuff. And on top of the fact that every time this year, Oklahoma, it feels like it's been given the opportunity to extend a game against a living, breathing opponent outside of Iowa state in the mid to second quarter on Oklahoma's offense has said, no, thank you. We would not like to take this game and, and push it to a more comfortable spot. Well, guess what? All the drivers are going to matter if West Virginia is shortening the football game. So I think that making sure that the Mountaineers continue there or start a winning streak against Oklahoma, making sure the Mountaineers get to leave the Big 12 with a victory over Oklahoma, uh, I don't think that's out of the cards at all this weekend. Something else uh, <clears throat> Neil Brown said was um, he was asked about uh, playing both C.J. Donaldson and Jaheim White together in the backfield at the same time. He said, we tried to do it the other day. CJ got stepped on. He's fine, but we were going to play a little more two back in that game. He said, I think it's time and place. It just depends on how defenses play different personnel groups. Um, 
if you're going to play two running backs, they both got to block. And those guys are both physical runners, um, apparently capable blockers as well. If they go two back with any kind of consistency, uh, I think Oklahoma is going to have a hard time stopping that. I, we'll see. Um, not not that necessarily stopping the, the two-back set, but putting the two-backs back there, making Oklahoma get big and then throwing the deep ball with Garrett Green or allowing Garrett Green to move uh, in the pocket or run for his life. Garrett Green's got track speed almost as much as Jason Bean does. So uh, if he gets the corner, if he gets the edge, it's going to be trouble. Did you hear what quarterback uh, Garrett Green was uh, compared to on the coach show on Monday night? Um, no, I guess not. Uh, Brent Venables was like, hey, you know what the worst thing possible sometimes when you're playing Texas? If Vince Young was back there and you covered everybody and he took oh, off, cool. that was like the worst thing in the world. I'm here to yeah. tell you, I don't think that Brent Venables was trying to say that Garrett Green's Vince Young. He's not right. Vince Young. But I just thought it was interesting that that's like the – when Brent Venables thinks about, okay, what's the threat of this guy? He goes back to – remember when you'd, you'd cover everything on the back end of Vince Young would torture? Like, it shows he's got great respect for Garrett Green. I don't know how you couldn't have great respect for Garrett Green when everybody watched him get 119 yards and two scores on 14 carries uh, last year in Morgantown. Yeah. I want to um, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on at USC uh, just because I know the fan base is so polarized about it. Um Alex Grinch got fired. Their defense is terrible. What was their defense? They're a hundred or worse in everything. Like a hundred. <laughs> it's not who it's not. They're like 118th or worse. And like, they're yeah. like in the bottom 10 in almost everything. Yeah. Rushing, passing, pass efficiency. I think uh, total defense, scoring defense It's the scoring defense. that finally got him because you lose those games on the scoreboard, 52, 42, and you win one, you beat Cal, but you beat him 52, 49 or 50, 49, whatever that was. That's uh, you, you, your defensive coordinator. I don't care who your boss is. I don't care what school you're at. I don't care who your quarterback is. You give up those totals and lose games, you're going to get fired. So, uh, But I, I'll say this. I know this is an extremely unpopular take, but I've got the numbers here to back me up, so shut up. I'll do like Brent. I'm right, though. <laughs> That's what Venable said at one of his press conferences. Uh, when Grinch got to Oklahoma, that – Mike Stoops, Ruffin McNeil defense ranked 114th in the country. The next year, remember what we all said in 2017 or 2018 as well? If you could just rank not last, just don't finish last in defense, you're going to have a chance to win a national championship. Well, Alex Grinch took that defense from 114 total defense. We're talking total yards allowed, NCAA numbers here. I'm not going into analytics or yards per play or yards per possession or any of that, just using one number and it's total yards. He took them from 114 to 38. That 2019 defense was a top 40 defense. Think about that. That was a shocking turnaround. Then the next year, they were 29th. That was an even more, or possibly almost as much. Let me put it that way. Shocking turnaround. You're right. You go from one from the 120s almost to 29 to the top 30. Now that last year, 2021, obviously it took a hit. They dipped. Uh, they were 78th in the country. Part of that was your quarterback couldn't stop turning the football over, so he got benched. You know that whole thing. You you guys remember. But Oklahoma defense last year in the first year under Brent Venables, remember Mike Stoops, Ruffin McNeil, 114. Last year, they were 
one. It's 75 right now. But let me ask you guys this. Would you take a 38 ranking on defense right now? A 29 ranking on defense right now? Hell yeah, you would. So I think Alex Grinch gets a little bit of an unfair shake. There's no doubt that last year at OU, he was not a great defensive coordinator. He was lost a lot of times. His players were lost. But even that 80, 78th in 2021, that would have been something that in 2018 would have would have really helped. In uh, 2017, I think, would have really helped. Last year would have really helped ranking 78. But I just think Alex Grinch, uh, I think people are trying to rewrite history a little bit. I think that the issue for Grinch is that he never evolved. He, he comes in with a very simple system, uh, which the whole point of it was, you know, turnovers equal victory, all that stuff. Yep. But the longer he spent in this conference, the more offensive lines were unaffected by the shifting because they were just like, hey, Oklahoma's going to shift. Don't worry about it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. And the, he had the same issues. They still couldn't cover a tight end. They still couldn't cover running back out of the backfield. And like, I also think it's important to not forget, though, like Brent Venable is basically being like the guys on defense didn't know a lick about football when we got here. That wasn't being taught. The only thing being taught was the system. And and he's said a couple of times about the football IQ. I, I, I just wondered if Grinch was in one spot for long enough. Once you got things fixed, then were you going to add more and more or was it going to still be the same super simplistic? You're just playing a couple of coverages, stuff mm-hmm. like that. When he got to USC, I think everyone just looked at the film from Oklahoma in 21 and said, okay, don't worry about the shift. Don't worry about any of this stuff. And his defense never evolved. So I think he's going to have to – like he was really good at getting across his principles of what he wanted. I think the issue is his principles of what he wanted to do got found out pretty quickly, and he is going to have to do some soul-searching about how do you add more – because it's a gimmick defense. I mean, let's be honest. It's just – they play a couple of coverages. They just want to shift. And then it's all about getting those guys to fire off with confidence. You saw last year they were terrible in all the metrics, but they finally got all those turnovers that he was talking about, and, and Lincoln Riley was happy to have him aboard. Yeah, uh, you're right. He's got to figure out what uh, – he's got to figure out how to evolve. He's got to figure out what he needs – what he wants to be as a defensive coordinator. Um, it it kind of reminds me, I, I've been hearing, and it's not a, it's not pervasive, it's not everywhere, but I, I keep hearing this this uh, this theme, Ryan, and see if you have heard it as well. People right now are, are saying once Brent gets his players on this on this program, once Brent gets rid of all those Lincoln Riley recruits, this program is going to be better, right? There's 29 guys on the two deep right now. 29 that were Lincoln Riley recruits. Okay. So what does that say? My question is, is it the same people who are refusing to acknowledge that half of Bob Stoops' 2002 deep were actually John Blake recruits? It's the same people that refuse to acknowledge that is my guess. Those are Bob Stoops players. Well, no, actually John Blake recruited them and signed them and coached them for a couple of years. Uh, half of that team was, half of that two deep. We're getting the same kind of blowback, but once once we get all those Lincoln Riley guys out of here, the, thirty guys on the two deep right now are Lincoln Riley guys. So I don't know what what exactly that's saying, but maybe like I said, slow your roll and stop trying to rewrite history. Yeah, it feels like if if you just stopped halfway through that statement and it's like, hey, once you get all of Brent Venables' guys in, and you sit down, I look at okay, this is what the recruiting class defensive line wise they have committed. 
yeah. you're telling me that in two years they're contributing. I'm there. You know what I mean? It's just for that- sure they're getting a lot better on defense. I really believe that. Despite that number that I read you earlier, 114 yeah. and 78, I think they're a lot better on defense culturally, it, especially. Yeah, but it's like yeah, it's because Brent Venables is one of the elite defensive recruiters like in college football. That has nothing yeah. to do with who was here before him. So right. it, it's one of those things too of like, hey, Drake Stoops. I don't know what anyone wants. Uh, what do people want to label him as a player? He was the only reason you were in Bedlam. Like you might. None, none of those new wide receivers have come close to helping to chip in like Drake Stoops has this year. No, that's one hundred percent true. One hundred percent, and he was very much a, a Lincoln Riley recruit. Although Brent Venables recruited him when he was like ten years old. <laughs> <laughs> so is he anyway. technically a Stoops player? Does Drake get to fall under the Stoops tree? Yes, one hundred percent. He's a he's a Bob Stoops recruit. From way back in the day, 2001, I think. Anyway, uh, one more note on Lincoln. You guys will love this. This is his second year at USC. This is his third year total to coach Caleb Williams. He got Baker in 2017 for one year as the head coach. He was his quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator for two years. But as his head coach, he got Baker for one year. You can't screw up one year, right? He got Kyler as the starting quarterback for one year. He was a red shirt the first year because he had to transfer, and then the second year he was Baker's backup. But that third year, he only got one year as the starter under Lincoln Riley as the head coach. He got Jalen for one year as the head coach. Again, it's kind of hard to screw up one year, especially on a transfer, right, like Jalen Hurts was. Uh, Jalen Hurts um, – Came in and he, he wasn't the finished product, but he was certainly, he was not wet clay, right, when he got here. he Jalen Hurts knew what he was as a football player. Lincoln Riley made him into a more efficient quarterback, although people would still argue that he didn't throw the ball to CeeDee Lamb enough and locked on to other receivers too much, and I, I, I get it. He ran the ball too much, but that was great because he ran for 1,300 yards and 20 touchdowns. So let him go. Okay, we get a little more recent. He had Spencer Rattler for three years. He had him for redshirt year, and then he had him for one year as a starter, and then he had him for one year as the starter, half the year, and he lost his job. Spencer Rattler got worse every year Lincoln Riley coached him. Right? And then he had Caleb. He's got Caleb now for three years. He, he won the Heisman Trophy last year. Can't knock that, right? I don't know if he got better or worse, but since his one year at, at Oklahoma, right? Came off the bench halfway through, won the job, Transfers to USC, wins the Heisman Trophy. Caleb has gotten worse this year. Every quarterback that he's played, that he's developed, has gotten worse under Lincoln Riley. Think about that. Not good news for Malachi Nelson, which is why you have all the Jalen Daniels rumors that that, uh, USC is targeting the Kansas quarterback or has made contact or all that fun stuff. But uh it, it's been uh, the real travesty of this last three years is that Caleb Williams is going to play in zero playoff games because Lincoln Riley couldn't put a defense alongside him yeah I agree none of uh he, he, okay so he had Baker he had Kyler he had Jalen he had Rattler for better or worse uh and he had Caleb and he's still over in playoff game playoff wins tough says a lot tough says a lot says a lot uh Porter Moser's got it rolling at basketball at the Lloyd Noble Center. 89-59, they open up the season, uh, what was that, Monday night? Yeah, Monday night, because I was back home Tuesday. 
Uh, Blue Central Michigan out. I thought I've got some names here. Uh, I was able to watch through kind of one eye the game, but not really study it, pay attention to it. I do know that watching about four or five minutes of OU play, play basketball this year, Porter Moser's right. He's 100% right. Way more athletic, way faster, uh, way probably more active on defense, longer longer arms. Um, they're going to get out. They're going to run a little bit more than uh, than they have. I looked up at one point. I think it was 11 minutes left. They had 55 points. And I'm like, that's all, 55 points? And I finished with 89. So <laughs> they did what they had to do. I think this team's going to be better, Ryan. What do you think? Yeah, and, and it, it felt like the first two years when they'd like hunker down and play defense, they'd force turnovers, but there were shot clock violations or like passes out of bounds, stuff like that. They were able to get into passing lanes, deflect the ball, get out and run. And uh, I, I think that when you look at like Otega Owe, he looked like a completely different dude offensively. Last year it was he could only dribble with his left. He was trying to just get to the rim. Everything else was super uncomfortable. He looked just calm, cool, collected, happy to take jumpers, all that stuff. JV McCollum showed you a little bit of that step back game. But the biggest difference Porter Moser talked about is now they've been able to bring in like experienced guys off the bench. Jalen Moore, who's played a little bit in the ACC at Georgia Tech, guy that's coming off the bench. Latrey Darthard was coming off the bench. John Hughley hadn't supplanted Sam Godwin quite yet at center. That was an experienced player coming off the bench. Uh, and that's going to be depth because Porter's talked about for two years, depth, depth, depth. Well, usually they're throwing freshmen into the fray off the bench. And so it, it'll be interesting. Um, I'm st- I, Central Michigan's not good, so still fully in wait and see mode. I don't know what that's going to mean for how much better or worse they'll be in the Big 12 this year. But they certainly look more athletic and have some more options to kind of run the offense. And uh, they, they kind of have a non-conference schedule that's going to allow them to ramp into the year uh, and kind of get to know each other a little bit better before they get some of those huge, huge tests. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, more out of a guy like Latrey Darthard, uh, senior transfer. John Hughley, you mentioned. How good is he in the low post? Um, is, he a, he's a, is he a glass eater, space eater? Is he going to bank? I saw him get knocked down the other day, and I was a little surprised because the guy that ran into him was a little bit slight. Uh, Might have been one of his own teammates. McCollum is explosive. Uh, you've got Milo Suzan obviously back. You've got Otego Owe obviously back. Those guys are the heart and soul of the team. Got they better be. Uh, Jalen Moore, as you mentioned, Jacob Cole is a guy that can, as a freshman, come in and probably get some minutes. They got a, a um, oh Rivaldo Suarez as well. Uh, very quick, explosive, athletic dude. I don't know how uh, effective he's going to be as a scorer, but he's experienced. He's a senior. They've got an X factor, shall we say, on the end of the bench. Our man Reed Lovelace, Ross yes. Lovelace's brother, is a walk-on at OU, and uh, we're expecting that he's going to uh, take this team to the next level, right? Clearly, clearly, you got this, Reed. You got it. Trust me. No pressure. No pressure. Um, signing day yesterday. Dayton Forsyth from Dale signed. Kual Atak signed out of uh, Fort Worth. They got um, better shooting-wise with Dayton Forsyth. And they got better uh, post-wise, at least maybe more of a stretch four presence. Uh, Kual Attack can shoot. He's six foot nine, super long arms. He's kind of slender, uh, but he can absolutely shoot the three. Yeah, and the most important thing, too, is Forsyth top player in Oklahoma. Porter Moser has made a priority out of making sure that he takes care of recruiting Oklahoma, doesn't want anything to slip through the cracks there. And then, yeah, you get a lot more length 
Uh, it sounds like the development project for a guy on the roster right now, Luke Northweather, who's kind of a, a stretch four type guy. Oklahoma sounds really, really excited by that. We'll see how that plays out during the season. But if Oklahoma could could make a living out of getting some length, stashing those guys for a year and developing, then Porter Moser is going to be very successful if that's something that he can kind of uh, uh, basically make a, a hallmark of what he's trying to do out of the recruiting record. Yeah, uh, yesterday was signing day, Ryan, for uh, softball, too. And Patty Gasso just went and signed, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she signed every player in America. Yeah, I think it was approximately 5 billion signees for (laughs) uh, Patty Gasso and the Sooners, which makes a lot of sense, though, because, like, when you start going down, like, all the the players she's going to lose this year – uh, I, I don't want to like make Oklahoma fans like a little nervous, but like you start going through Terry Jennings, Jada Coleman, uh, Kinsey Hansen, yep. Nicole May, Kelly Maxwell, Carly Keeney, uh, Boone's in that group. I believe Lisa Brito's in that group. Lena Torres is in that. Like that's a lot of names that are coming off the board. Yep. So, yeah, so uh, I was going to say, so Patty Gasso needed not just that, but she needed the big class. Um, and Patty Gasso, per usual, is doing it both grabbing the best prospects in the state of Oklahoma, going coast to coast. I mean, where do you want to start with this thing? Because it, it's so wide ranging. She got two catchers. She got two players from Indiana. She got two players from Oklahoma. Uh, she got four infielders and one outfielder um, and a pitcher, left handed pitcher. Audrey Lowry is the pitcher from uh, Indiana. Um, let's start with Tia Malloy infielder from, you know, just Redmond, Washington, suburb of Seattle. No big deal. Her dad is Lawyer Malloy, NFL superstar, Super Bowl champ, and her mom was a two-time track All-American, national champion in track. Uh, No uh, pressure on Tia Malloy to be great at sports, right? Yeah, no pressure on her from the parents because surely there's not going to be, like, athletic siblings. Wait, did any of you guys watch the Women's College World Series? (laughs) Because Kiki Malloy, the superstar for Tennessee, yeah, that's the same Malloy family. Kiki's younger sister, Tia, that's who Oklahoma is getting. Um, I, I don't think that Patty Gasso could be more excited about that. Uh, I, I, Tia is supposed to track in a very similar way as far as having the the absolute power and athleticism, something that Patty Gasso, more than anyone, has shown she knows how to develop. Uh, it'll just be not familiar with, you know, one of the best things that, that Patty Gasso and JT Gasso are at, not just all the analytics of your swing and all that stuff, but developing this patient, ba- uh, you know, batting approach, stuff like that. Let's see what that looks like as Tia Malloy takes to that. But I mean, she's got all the makings of, of a big, big, big time player that, that can make big plays in Oklahoma City for years to come. Yeah, I'll go down the list real quick. We mentioned Audrey Lowry, the uh, left-handed pit- pitcher from uh, Indiana. Cheney Helton, outfielder from Coweta. Riley Zaki? Zaki? Zach? I think that's right. Z-A-C-H-E. Uh, Zaki, I think. Catcher out of South Bend, Indiana. And her uh, sister is a year younger. That's the duo of sisters yes. that Patty Gasso picked up. Yep, one's committed, one's signed now. Yeah, a month and a half ago, whenever that was. I believe that's right. Yep, Corey Hicks is a catcher out of San Jose. Katie McKay is an infielder from Caddo. Gabby Garcia is the infielder from Chandler, Arizona. And Sydney Barker is an infielder from Rockland, California. Again, this is class of 2024. 
So if you didn't hear a name that you're familiar with, it probably because that player is in the class of 2025 who Patty's already got a handful of commits from. So off they go, man. Yeah. And they'll all be joining the team next fall. So none of these signees will be with the team this year. Um, some of the differences of softball, and basketball signing day, obviously versus football of what you're used to. Uh, but if you want to get the final wrap up on, Last year's signees who are true freshmen this year, all that stuff. Our man Randall's going to be out at Marita Hines this evening, Thursday night, as the battle yeah. series wraps up. So I'm sure that Patty Gass will be speaking to everybody as well as a selection of players as there's going to be a pretty large media contingent. Randall will be our man on the scene there. So be sure you're headed to allsooners.com at about 9.30, 10-ish tonight is when that usually has been popping up. Uh, when, when those post-game interviews and stuff are usually ready to hit the site, just based off how long the Battle Series games run. So, yeah, so Patty signed eight. Uh, Ryan said they're class of 2024, which means they won't be here until next fall, which means their first season is going to be 2025, first year in the SEC. This is your SEC class, first SEC class. So that should be fun to watch. Must be nice to have a, to just build a dynasty and then just sit and watch it reload itself every year. That's uh, <laughs> this class is pretty special. All right. We'll finish with this, Ryan. Uh, OU baseball, but don't go anywhere because it's really about OU football. Trust me. Uh, Missouri and Texas were announced today as OU's permanent opponents. We'll call them rivals. If you want in baseball, Missouri, and Texas are OU's permanent opponents in the SEC in baseball. That'll also start in 2025. Could that be the same thing for football? Could we see, you know, we we don't know what the uh, the long term. We know in 2024 the schedule set. They're only playing eight games. They're playing Texas, of course. Um, who else are they playing? Auburn, LSU, Missouri, Ole Miss on the road, and then their home games are Alabama, South Carolina, Tennessee, and of course Texas is in Dallas. But could this become, Ryan, something like, well, it worked for football, or I'm sorry, it worked for baseball. They're te- like they're testing it out for baseball to see how two permanent rivals or an OU Missouri um, are they putting it on, are they put writing it down in pencil right now to maybe use a sharpie later on? I don't think so, and it's just because the math works out really easy. Where if you play eight games, if you have one rival, and then the rest of those games are a home and home. That is one way that you play everyone in the conference every four years in a home and home. Or if you do a nine game schedule, you can protect three of those rivals. The rest of those games, the other six games, home and home, you'll play every team in your conference every four years. I think they really like that, especially going off this iteration of the SEC where Georgia still hasn't played in College Station. Um, I think that if they move to that nine game schedule, Texas, Missouri, plus another one are for sure the three teams that Oklahoma will be paired with. Uh, I, I just don't think that they might switch off of that or go with two or whatever, but they just needs to go to nine games because they have too many rivalries to protect with just one game yeah. uh, being protected. Like Alabama has three or four games they need to protect. Auburn has three or four games they need to protect. I think it's just about ESPN fork it over the money. We'll see Disney shedding sa- salary left, right, and center. Maybe yep. that means that here in a year or two, they'll have enough extra money to go to the SEC and say, yes, we will pay you for that ninth game. Hey, what could that look like? Disney might even be selling ESPN. We've heard that more than once over the last few weeks. Yeah. So, so. what could that look like come 2024, 2025? Uh, Saban said, remember, he's let it slip in October, I think, on one of his coaches' shows. He said, the way we're going to do our seven-team, one fixed, 
you're going to play everybody every four years. So almost every guy at every school is is going to play every other team in your conference. He let, he let it slip a little bit. Oops. But he might have been just oversimplifying, just looking at 2024 and not not looking long term. I don't know. I can't hardly at all speak for Nick Saban. Right? Well, so, and we're supposed to get the uh, we have the matchups, like you mentioned. It sounds like in December we're supposed to get the actual dates for the 2024 schedule. We've gotten the dates okay. and stuff uh, for like the Big Ten schedule and stuff like that. But uh, I think the SEC. It's been reported by Ross Dellinger, I want to say, who's now with Yahoo, that that's supposed to come in December. So something to look out for. When that first broke, um, I think the Sankey said, uh, we'll look forward to releasing the dates in November, possibly in November, I think he said. Actually, I think he said possibly November or early December. Yeah. So we might get it this month. Yeah, late. The actual dates. Yeah, it sounds like late November, early December. And then as he shared with uh, everyone in the press box in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl, uh, because of the new TV deal, their 11 a.m. kickoff should be announced in the summer. So not all kickoff times, but it sounds like dates for those games in by mid-December at the latest. It sounds like you'll know at least one docket of kickoff times well before the season gets going. So, By the way, speaking of baseball, uh, this year, 2024, next spring, right? The next baseball season. Uh, the big 12 now has 13 baseball playing schools and the schedule goes from eight conference opponents to 10 conference opponents. Don't know what the big, what the uh, sec is going to do, uh, baseball wise, but, uh, they did reveal future opponents today. I'm sorry, permanent opponents today. Um, and there are 16, there are 16 programs in the sec who play baseball. So if you're, if you love your, oh, your baseball, Cloudy future. <laughs> we don't know what it's going to look like beyond uh, this coming year. And this year is weird just because you're jumping from, like I said, eight conference opponents to 10. You're going from um, 24 conference games to 30 conference games. So every weekend, a little bit more meaningful. <clears throat> if you're an OU baseball fan, am I right? For sure. They'll, they'll get that thing going uh, before you know it here. Uh, February, right? Yep, supposed to get it going in February. So, uh, before you know it, Diamond Sports season will be upon you. Yes, looking forward to it. No more fall scrimmages. This segment, which was excellent, by the way, of the All Sooners podcast, was presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Just go to InfiniteAssetAdvisors.com to learn how you can get debt-free and begin real retirement planning right now. Don't wait to do this. It's important. Because whether it's retirement private banking, family asset protection, estate planning, or living trusts. Just let Corey and his team take a look at your portfolio and get you on the way to taking control of your financial future. It's easy. Just call 512-710-0130 or email team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or just check out their website, infiniteassetadvisors.com. Coming up next, we're going to hit some recruiting with Randall. All Sooners Podcast continues next. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. 
To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. All right, we're back. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Remember, if you like the podcast, go ahead and like the podcast. Give us a five-star rating. That helps us out immensely because it helps spread the word and push, make suggestions on our podcast. Uh, if you could share it on social media, we'd really appreciate that as well. Get, get our name out there. Get us out there. Make the podcast a little bigger so we can get you more quality information. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, please like, comment, and subscribe, and mash that like button. All that good stuff. You know how to do it. Um, so let's talk recruiting. We've brought in Randall. Randall is from Parts Unknown. He uh, he's actually in Oklahoma City right now, uh, but uh, yeah, they're doing some things to his apartment. He's got some noise going on. His dishwasher's getting up and walking across the room. <laughs> Randall, how's it going? Oh, it's good. You know, it's nice to actually be back in my apartment podcasting. You know, last week I had to do a podcast from a separate undisclosed location that was really <laughs> another person's apartment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice to be back back in my own uh, my own space now. Uh, any takeaways you want to add to the uh, conversation from the Bedlam game on Saturday? Uh, Ryan and I kind of hit some of the high points, but I uh, want to get your takes. Uh, I think I'll be kind of succinct here. I know that a lot of times when a team loses, uh, their fan base, a lot of times that, the fan base of that team copes by saying, well, I think we're the better team. I think if we play 10 times, we win 8 out of 10, things like that. But I do think after watching Bedlam, um, you know, from a, just an observer standpoint, I do think that Oklahoma appeared to be the better team at various stretches of that game, but did shoot themselves in the foot. Um, multiple times and costly penalties, bad play call, all, all of those things um, add up into one. And uh, I mean, uh, the fumbles, I mean, that's probably turnovers. That's key. But uh, if Oklahoma is able to clean up some of those turnovers, some of those penalties, uh, you know, maybe make a few different play calls in situations, you know, not drop passes. I mean, I, I don't think that it's a far stretch to say that, oh, you could have won that game and could have won it by multiple touchdowns, multiple scores, I should say. Uh, and so, yeah. so. If you're an, if you are an OU fan, that is, I guess, the lone encouragement going forward is that um, the the things that that OU did to lose are fixable. I'll say it this way: I hope this goes over the way I mean for it to go. Um, I think Oklahoma has better football players. I think Oklahoma State clearly played better football. I I agree, hundred percent. They took their two and three stars. And went up against OU's three and four and five stars, and they played a better football game. Simple as that. I agree, a hundred percent. And I mean, the Oklahoma State's best player, Ollie Gordon. OU did a pretty good job of keeping in check, but you know, there when it mattered, they were able to let him get loose, and that that cost him the game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, any thoughts uh, as we head into transition into the West Virginia game? Uh, we talked about the quality of team that West Virginia is, and how. West Virginia does really good at a number in a number of areas that are just not good matchups for Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean that you know that running game they've got uh, C.J. Donaldson, obviously Garrett Green cut up OU's defense last year. Um, you know I'm sure Brent Venables mem- remembers that final drive where uh, it seemed like OU just could not get off the field with the game tied at 20, uh, and you know Garrett Green just ran right down into field goal range and West Virginia kicked uh, the game winning field goal. That 
same style of game could happen over again if OU does not, uh, you know, right the ship uh, and kind of correct some of those defensive mistakes that we've seen in the past two weeks against Kansas, against um, Oklahoma State. Obviously, Garrett Green, much more mobile quarterback than Alan Bowman, uh, who even he was able to run in the touchdown on the OU defense. So those linebackers, it'll be really important for the Sooners. You know, if Danny Stutzman is able to play and if he's healthy, able to play at healthy, uh, that'd be a huge boost for OU. But I mean, I think even then, Kip Lewis is going to be a good option. This might be a good game for Kobe McKenzie, who is uh, maybe not as good in pass coverage, but is a really great downhill physical run stopper. So uh, this might be a good Kobe McKenzie matchup. Um, but again, the Sooners are going to need to really stay in their rush lanes. Otherwise, they will get torched. Uh, keep contain on the outside. Otherwise, Garrett Green will escape and, and he'll burn him just like he did last year. Yeah, especially if they go with that two-back formation that uh, Ryan and I mentioned earlier. If they're able to successfully deploy that, that could be problems for Oklahoma. And here's the deal. Kansas can't really throw the football. They threw the football against Oklahoma. Oklahoma State, not really great at throwing the football. They threw the football. Looked like all pros. They made uh, they made Rashad uh, Owens look like an all-pro wide receiver. Terrell Owens, right? Um, so I think we said it in the stand-up on uh, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday. Well, no, it was after Brent Venables, so Tuesday. They're seventh in the country, West Virginia is in rushing, but they're 98th or 90th or something like that in passing. They shouldn't be able to throw the football with any success, but guess what? Neither should Kansas, neither should Oklahoma State. So, like I said, some bad matchups for OU possibly coming down the down the pike on Saturday. The weather's supposed to be nice. I see it's a high of 63 degrees on Saturday, uh, a little bit overcast, uh, partly cloudy, I guess is how you say it. So uh, sh- the weather should be fantastic football weather. Uh, Randall, we're looking at um, commitments coming down the pike for Oklahoma as well, including possibly they got their fingers crossed on one tomorrow night. Yeah, Alexander Shield Knight, the, the star defensive lineman. He plays some tight end too, but mostly defensive lineman at Wagner High School out in, um, what is that, northwestern Oklahoma? Am I getting my directions correct? Northeast. northeast. North, you better, you yeah. better get on the GPS. It's uh, east of Tulsa. <laughs> yeah, so just said the wrong wrong way. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, <laughs> You know, Wagner defensive line. Don't go northwest. <laughs> oh, I, I'd be a long way from Wagner then. Um, career, sacks, career sacks leader at Wagner High School. This is a, a you know a team that's got players playing at Texas Tech right now. That's got Malcolm Rodriguez playing for the Detroit Lions in the NFL. I mean, they put players in Oklahoma State. Power Five guys have come from Wagner on the defensive side of the football. And guess what? Alexander Shield Knight, as just a, midway through his junior year, has outsacked all of them. Uh, so that's pretty impressive. This is obviously a guy who comes from, again, maybe not the biggest name. This isn't Duncanville High School in Texas, but Wagner is a solid program, tough kids. They put out good players a lot of times, and Alexander Shield Knight seems like the next in line. Um, from what I've seen, he's a real technician on the defensive line. He knows how to set offensive linemen up. He knows how to use his hands, how to get by guys. Um, and I think that when he gets – in the realm of uh, you know being coached by Miguel Chavis, being coached by Todd Bates, you know some of those guys on how to just even refine that hand usage, that technique even more than he already has. I think that uh, he could blossom into a really good, really good edge rusher, really good defensive lineman, really physically strong player. I mean, tons of uh, tons of play strength, functional strength in his game that you see whenever he's engaging with offensive linemen. I mean, when he when he puts that initial punch on a guy. And again, this is Wagner High School, so it's not 6A Texas football. When he puts that punch on a, on a guy, those offensive linemen are on their heels a lot of times. Um, and it, that's something that you love to see, especially for a guy who's playing some smaller school football. Um, three-star recruit probably could be rated a little higher if he was maybe, again, playing at a bigger school, but still 
offers from, I believe, Arkansas, I believe A&M. Uh, Oklahoma State, I know, has been hard on the, the trail for Alexander Shield Knight. But uh, like you said, it seems like uh, OU is in a pretty good position to uh, come out on top of this recruitment tomorrow night. Uh, he is announcing at Wagner High School's football stadium ahead of their first-round playoff game against Broken Bow. Um, so should be a fun one there. I would imagine that uh, Wagner is able to get the get the victory and move on. They are undefeated this season. He's been a huge uh, help in that. And, um, yeah, I think that the Oklahoma 2025 defensive line class is just going to uh, continue to grow. You know, if, if Shield Knight does end up committing tomorrow like we'd expect, then that would be um, – him and Kamori Moore from Lee Summit North, both on that defensive line in the 2025 class. It's a great start um, for a class that, again, is over a year out. Yeah, uh, Shield Knight is uh, 6'2", 220, um, really thick, broad chest, shoulders. I'm looking at a picture of him right now, and he's kind of flexing a little bit. He's, the uh, according to 24-7 Sports, the number 12 player in Oklahoma, according to the composite, number 11. Um, Oklahoma's done a nice job of getting um, local recruits, uh, and not just in the 24 class, but in the 25 class. They're really starting to stock up on the 25s when you look at, uh, and we'll get to one of those here in a minute, but uh, they're starting to stock up on those 25s, especially guys at Carl Albert. Yeah, uh, you know, you mentioned Carl Albert. I mean, that's Marcus James. That's Trinae Washington. I mean, that's two, two guys who they got commitments from last week. Uh, and that's that's not to mention the Xavier Robinsons, the Kevin Sperrys, who they had commitments from, you know, from previous months. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned that that local 2025 class. I mean, that's now Jaden Nickens. That's now Kevin Sperry. That's now Elijah Thomas. That's now um, Trinae Washington, Marcus James, possibly Alexander Shieldnick tomorrow. I mean, you could have seven kids in that 2025 class with six of the first seven being OK prep prospects. Um, and that, that, that's pretty good uh, for Brent Venables and company. Um, you know, obviously, um, they're going to recruit nationally. That's what OU, that's what Brent Venables, that's what big-time programs do. They're going to continue to get these kids from Florida, California, you name it. But early on in the process, locking up the top players in the local region, not letting those guys, um, you know, kind of stray, take, it, take too many visits out of the state, you know, explore other options, really locking them down, making sure that, you have your state on lock to start that recruiting cycle. It's a huge, huge piece of the pie because, I mean, now you can go forward and, you know, again, focus on that national recruiting, focus on a lot of these other guys and say, well, look at the base we already have. I mean, we already have a four-star quarterback in this class. We've already got three really talented wide receivers. We've already got two defensive linemen. We've already got a linebacker that, you know, is a local kid who we think could be developed into a special player. So, um Again, continuing to re recruit local is going to be huge in multiple classes. I mean, in all the future classes down the road, we've seen that Brent Venables loves to do that. But uh, it's I think it's really good in adding these um, these local kids early in the process because then it allows you to focus you know nationally on the kids who are waiting longer to make their decisions, who maybe didn't grow up as OU fans. You know, it's a little harder to work on those kids from Florida, from California, from wherever than it is to work on a kid from Oklahoma City or Wagner, Oklahoma, who probably grew up around the program. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to get him in for visits, things like that. Yeah. All yeah. right, you, uh, you you mentioned the two guys um, that committed last week. Let's go into them. Marcus James, uh, kind of an outside linebacker, edge rusher from Carl Albert. Started his career at Bishop McGinnis, but uh, you were there for his commitment, and then he was like, oh, by the way, I'm not done. And he brought out his teammate, 
and future teammate. Uh, it was quite the scene. It was. It was. Yeah, it was It was a really special moment. Um, you know, obviously everyone gathered there uh, for a big moment for Marcus James. You know, it was really cool. His, his mom, his dad, his brother, and his sister were all there. So that was. it was really, really cool to get to see him uh, make that announcement right there. And then, you know, kind of taking everyone by surprise and saying, when he grabbed the mic and said, oh, and I got someone coming with me. Um, you know, when Trinae Washington walks up to the stage, it was a big shock to like, a lot of people in that room. I mean, we we had some inclination that maybe eventually Trinae might be an OU guy, but uh, the timing of it was really surprising to us. Um, and so uh, for OU to get both of those commitments on the same day, I know that's probably huge for Brent Venables and company. Uh, again, locking down Carl Albert, that's a local, local pipeline with, I mean, they've been one of the best teams in Oklahoma in football, basketball, baseball, you name it, for the past decade, maybe even longer. Just as far as I can remember, the past decade, they've been uh, one of the top producing teams in Oklahoma. So to continue to build that pipeline is going to be huge. I don't think Carl Albert's going to go away anytime soon. I think there's just going to be more and more prospects that come out of that high school. So for OU to kind of have them on lock, kind of have that pipeline there, that's going to be huge. Now, those players specifically, Marcus James chose OU over TCU, over Utah, over Texas A&M, over Arkansas. So uh, this is two schools that are going to be in the Big 12, TCU and Utah, two future SEC opponents, A&M and Arkansas. I mean, winning, obviously, we know what Utah has done on the defensive side of the ball, beating out two other SEC opponents, especially a school like A&M, who has been known for their recruiting prowess. It's really, really solid for you. We talked about it last week with Marcus James. Not afraid to hit. He loves contact. Very physical. Um, and he is 6'4", 215, 220. I would imagine that when he gets in the, a collegiate weight program with Jerry Schmidt, with some of those other guys, that's a guy whose frame can really, really fill out. I mean, you, you can already kind of see that he's got, he's got a good frame, good wide shoulders. Uh, and I think that once you get him into a college weight training program, I mean, he's just going to excel and grow um, in a good way, get, get a lot bigger uh, very quickly. Um, and I think that as an off-ball linebacker, like you said, kind of outside linebacker, that type of guy, I think that um, he's exactly what uh, this coaching staff really likes. Now, Trinae Washington's really interesting because, again, it, it did take us by a little bit of surprise, the timing of it. Um, Trinae's a guy that we've both seen in person. We've watched him play. Um, plays receiver. He plays kind of some corner, safety. He does it a lot. And, you know, you and I have talked what position looks best for him in college. I mean, this is a guy who – Right now, he's a junior in high school playing cornerback at six foot three and two hundred pounds. I mean, you don't see many cornerbacks like that at the college or NFL level, let alone at the high school level. Um, and so, when I, after he committed, I, I asked him. I said, "Well, what what position are you planning on playing?" And he said he's had a lot of conversation with Jeff Levy. He's had a lot of conversations with Joe John Finley, which is that's a that's a key right there. A lot of conversation with Joe John Finley, saying that he uh, he'll probably be kind of a split out tight end, uh, big wide receiver uh, type of role. Um, I don't, I don't want to compare them exactly because obviously they're very different players, but a similar way to what Mark Anders, Mark Andrews does as he is listed as a tight end, but I mean, Mark Andrews doesn't really put his hand in the ground and block a lot. I can see Trinae Washington being more of a guy who maybe is listed as a tight end, but probably not putting his hand in the dirt a lot, probably splitting up out wide and being more of a big slot receiver, catching a lot of passes, stuff like that. He's a great athlete. Again, you've, you've seen uh, yourself. The, he plays seven on seven with Kevin Sperry um, for C, for Team C4. Uh, so they obviously have that really good connection going already. Um, and I, personally, I, I'm very, very high on Trinae Washington. I think that he's got the potential to be a really good player just because of the body and the athleticism. You don't see a lot of guys who have that, that combination. So um, 
think he chose OU over A&M, over Iowa State, some other schools. Uh, a little bit of a light, more light recruitment for uh, Trinae Washington in the grand scheme of things, but I think that OU is going to be really, really glad to have him when he gets on campus. Uh, and, you know, just to kind of close out the Carl Albert conversation, uh, we mentioned Sperry, we mentioned Xavier Robinson, we mentioned these two recent commits, Tristan Haynes four-star cornerback. He's the highest rated out of all five of those Carl Albert players. I mean, offers from Alabama, offers from Oklahoma, all over the country. Tristan Haynes has drawn a lot of interest. Uh, I know Alabama Nick Saban really, really likes him. Um, But I think that his teammates, especially the three 2025 guys, are really going to work on getting Tristan Haynes, a a six-foot-two defensive back, cornerback, to Norman. I think that that his teammates really want him in Norman. I think that Tristan himself would like to be in Norman – Every time I've seen him there, whether it was at the Brent Venables camp, uh, the coaches were really paying attention to him, really taking him to the side to, to make sure to give him the time of day to offer up some coaching, um, you know, wh- whatever it was, just really taking him under their wing. It seemed like they took specific notice to him uh, over a lot of other players. And so I think that he's a priority for OU. I think his teammates obviously are going to want him at OU. And I think that the Sooners are going to have a really good chance getting him on campus, especially now that they've got his teammates on board. Yeah, I'll tell you this about Tristan. My, it doesn't surprise me that Nick Saban likes him, wants him, uh, or anybody else, because when I watched him last spring at the 7-on-7 here in Broken Arrow, uh, I just say it like this. He was toying with guys, guys who were who are Division One prospects, guys who, are, who have a, a great offer list. He was shutting them down. I mean, he would let the quarterback throw to in in that direction, and he would just reach around and bat it down, or he would uh, jump the route and pick it off, or almost pick it off. He was just toying with guys. So uh, he's intellectually, football wise, just in terms of instinct and what he knows, what what route he looks like, and then his ability to respond. Yeah, you know, you run a double move or you run a, a post corner, something like that, somewhere you're trying to deceive the defensive back. He's right there in your pocket because of his his reactions are so instantaneous. He's a very, very special player. You can see why he's number one. All you got to do is watch him. You can see why he's number one in the state. Um, yeah. And on uh, Trené, the page I'm looking at, Randall, it says he's 6'4", 210. So some updated height and weight information on yeah. him. He's he's bigger than, uh, than I remember. Yeah, I mean, again, for a guy to be able to move the way he does, especially as a junior in high school, I mean, he's 16, 17 years old. Guy at 6'4", yeah. to be able to move the way he does, drop back in coverage, you know, run routes. Really impressive. I mean, he's a great athlete, really fluid for a guy that size. That's what impresses me because a lot of times the guy's that that big, especially even even being that heavy too. It's not like he's 6'4", 180, you know. Yvonne, Yvonne, like Yvonne Cadillon is 6'6", 190 pounds, right? He's, he's, he's not super skinny, but he is a little bit on the thinner side. I mean um, – for him to be not only 6'4", but as heavy as he is and move the way he does, that's really impressive for a high school prospect. And you mentioned yeah. Haynes. The speed, the arm length, that that tracks perfectly with exactly what you were saying. Great athlete, really good uh, body to play corner. Like I said, he's 6'2", plays receiver on offense. Uh, yeah, I think that he's a, a great prospect. I think the Sooners would love to have him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see how that one goes. He's a 25 as well, so we'll see. He's got a little time, obviously. Um Offensive line, we got some possibly good news this week for Oklahoma fans and some possibly bad news this week for Oklahoma fans. Yeah, uh, so let's, we'll start with the good news first. Uh, maybe people will listen to the podcast a little longer. 
Um, Grant Bricks, four-star offensive lineman who feels like we've talked about uh, every week for the past, you know, three months. Uh, goes back and yep. forth between Oklahoma and Nebraska. It feels like every week for the past four months. And not no shade to to the the kid at all. I mean, I think that anyone can understand these are tough decisions, things like that. Um, but from from uh, reporting, Grant Bricks will be in Norman this weekend when OU takes on West Virginia. That's going to be huge for the Sooners because, again, as I just mentioned, it seems like he's been really close, teetering back and forth between making a decision between OU and Nebraska. Getting him on campus this weekend is going to be huge for the Sooners. I mean, if you can really show him a good time, not only, um, you know, behind the scenes, you know, what the school has to offer, you know, help build those, continue to build those relationships between him and Bill Biedenboe, him and Jerry Schmidt, some of the other guys on the staff, but also go out onto the field, make a statement with the way that you play, you know, go, go out and beat West Virginia handily, go out and show Grant Bricks that, uh, you know, what the offensive line at Oklahoma is capable of, what what a great offensive line looks like. Um, if those guys are able to put their best foot forward, I think that would go a really long way in finally securing that commitment. Because, again, it seems like there's been multiple times where Bricks has been so close to pulling the trigger, whether it was to Oklahoma or Nebraska. Um, and it seems like this weekend is Oklahoma's, I mean, best chance to, to really stake their claim and put their foot in the ground and win that win that recruitment. I mean, again, a good performance this weekend, um, a good atmosphere. It'll be a night game, so again, OU's got the opportunity to really showcase, you know, some of the light shows they do. Uh, maybe the fans will be in a, in a really good mood, lively environment with it being a 6 p.m. kick. Um, if all that plays well, uh, then I think that uh, I think that Grant Bricks after this weekend will be leaning even more heavily towards Oklahoma. Uh, again, with him, it's really hard to tell if. A com- if that could result in a commitment or if that's going to, you know, make him go back to the drawing board and take even longer to decide it. It's, it's really hard to tell. Um, but again, I do think that this weekend Oklahoma's got probably the best chance it will have for the rest of the recruiting cycle to put themselves in position to win that recruitment with Bricks. And that, I mean, OU really, really needs to win that recruitment. Not only would it, would Bricks be one of Bill Biedenboe's highest rated commitments ever. I mean, Caden Green last year was Bill Biedenboe's highest-rated commitment ever. I think that uh, Grant Bricks would be right below that. So uh, that would be a huge get for OU. Um, not only would he himself be a great get, but, I mean, that'd be the fifth offensive lineman in this 2024 class, kind of rounding out that group. You know, you, you really want to bring in five guys to get, get a lot of depth, you know, build towards the future. You get Bricks in here and there, and he's probably the best of those five that you've got committed at that point if you're OU. Um, and so it's it's, it's a huge uh, huge weekend for for that for the Sooners. I think they really need to to go out and win that Grant Bricks recruitment because what we'll mention now, uh, it seems like a guy who was maybe leaning towards Oklahoma recently, Eddie Pierre Lewis, uh, has maybe kind of backed off of uh, his interest in Oklahoma uh, from from some things that we're that we've heard some reporting. Um, it uh, he came to Norman a few weeks ago to watch. He, uh, this, Eddie Pierre Lewis is a kid from Tampa Catholic, so just keep in mind, Tampa Catholic right next to UCF Orlando, uh, probably only half an hour away from his high school, um, and you know, uh, someone who seemingly grew up a, a fan of, or I don't want to say grew up, but has recently become a fan of UCF, leaning towards UCF. Then there is some some belief that he was leaning towards Oklahoma. Even took a visit to Norman when UCF came to town to watch uh, Knights and the Sooners play. Um, and since then, it seems like, oh, you've kind of lost some momentum. And 
it I, I don't want to say I know exactly why that is, but if you look at uh, a kid from Tampa came to see his hometown team play OU in Norman, uh, OU has a real letdown game while they're still able to manage to win. It is a real letdown game. They only win by two points uh, at coming off of a bye, coming off a huge win against Texas. And in the last two weeks, they've not looked very good and they've lost both times. Uh, and I think that that um, might just be a cut and dry. Re- I mean, if you look at it, a kid from miles and miles away coming across the country uh, to see a performance that wasn't OU's best of the season, followed by two losses. I mean, it, it, a kid who was interested in UCF beforehand, it's easy to easy to connect the dots to see how maybe some of that interest has faded in the past three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not that that's the uh, end all be all for, for a player of uh, the talent of Eddie Pierre Louis. He's right. thinking uh, apparently about going to Oregon as well. Oregon's very high on his list. So distance might not be such a big thing for him, but when you see the performances on the field, he, he might be, you know, you delve as a young person, you delve into, okay, let's see what Oklahoma's about. And you take in, uh, the uh, the visit, like you said, and they didn't play very well. And, oh, okay, let's see how they bounce back. They go on the road and they lose to Kansas. And you're like, okay, that's probably just an aberration. Let's see what they do against Oklahoma State. And now all of a sudden, three games into this thing, you've seen three straight performances where they're not very good. Maybe maybe there's something to that. I think you're on the right track there. Um, oh, you got any offers coming up uh, that you know of? Or, or have they made any recent offers, I should say, maybe is a better way of phrasing it? that yeah. uh, to some interesting prospects yeah so if, if you're if you're in the state of oklahoma if you're a fan of local recruiting uh norman north 2026 that's a sophomore in high school 2026 wide receiver mason james got his first division one offer from the sooners last week uh so not not very often that uh ou is the first to offer someone but mason james is a kid who they've seen in person uh, he was at the Brent Venables camp this summer, obviously playing for Norman North. He's right down the road from OU. And I mean, he's had a great season for the Timberwolves. Um, I mean, anytime that I'm I'm seeing, you know, the game updates of Norman North, it feels like it's uh, Mason James scoring a touchdown. Um, if you watched him at the Brent Venables camp this summer, which uh, go back and dig through the All Sooners archives, we do have some highlight video of him from the Brent Venables camp uh, on, on our website. Um, really fast. I mean, just is able to just burn by defensive backs. He knows really well how to play with pace. Um, so, you know, some stutter routes, stop and go, stuff like that. He's really, really dangerous on routes like that. And then when you watch him put the pads on, just a guy who, despite being 5'10", 160 pounds, is really physical with the ball in his hands. He's not afraid to lower his shoulder when he needs to. When he's near the goal line, he he knows he's not going to do the Gavin Freeman jump from the five-yard line. He's going to put his shoulder down and try to burrow in uh, to the end zone and, and – uh, no shade to Gavin Freeman, just wanted to get a joke there. But anyway, uh, good, good prospect. I think that uh, will probably really, really heat up on the recruiting trail now that OU's offered him. Again, sophomore, uh, really, really fast. I think that uh, his recruitment will continue to heat up. And, and I think that I think that OU being the first school to offer him, especially a kid from Norman, is going to go a long way. I think that, um, again, he's got a long time to decide, but I think that OU's in a really good spot there. Again, they've got one commitment in the 2026 class, who's a uh, very impressive running back, Jonathan Hatton. Um, and so it would not be, uh, I guess, adding another talented skill position player in that 2026 class is definitely a possibility. Um, now in the 2025 class, Dawson Merritt, who's from Overland Park, Kansas, got an offer last week too. Um, for, for those who are listening that are not familiar with Overland Park, Kansas, which was me until we went there about two weeks ago, uh, it's 
it's only about four hours from from Norman, um, really close to the border of Oklahoma and Kansas. So not a, not a long uh, long ways at all. Uh, again, Kansas kind of Brent Venables uh, stomping grounds. It's a Kansas City suburb, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that's right. It's a, a suburb of Kansas City, uh, so not not very far from Oklahoma. Um, really easy drive, obviously, just down to down to Norman from there. And uh, Brent Venables, stomping grounds, being from Kansas, uh, he obviously knows what he's looking at with those guys from Kansas. I mean, uh, Jaron Kanak is a guy that came out of Hayes, Kansas. Uh, if you want to look across college football, Dylan Edwards, the Colorado running back, a guy from Derby, Kansas. There's a few other guys. Uh, again, Derby, Kansas this year has, and, and next year has Desan Brame, who's a 2025 OU offer at tight end. So um, maybe not in-state recruiting, but just north of the state, Kansas, still pretty local. Uh, Brett Venable's doing a nice job of uh, keeping the top talent, not, not only in the state, but in the region, um, kind of kind of in Oklahoma, you know, getting a lot of those best players from Kansas, from Missouri, from Oklahoma, from Texas. I mean, and that's that's going to pay off. Those kids want to stay close to home, I would imagine, uh, or it's at least convenient to stay close to home for them. It may, maybe not a necessity, but it is convenient. So um, getting out, making those offers, that's something that we didn't see uh, from the previous staff uh, very often. You know, not a lot of kids in Kansas, not a lot of kids in Oklahoma uh, getting offers every year like we're seeing now, um, which for the All Sooners crew, it's great. It gives us uh, plenty of opportunity to go see these guys in person. Um, but I think that for OU, it'll help. It'll be helpful too. Um, you want to really dominate recruiting in the region you're in. I think Brent Venables has uh, done done what he needs to do to get that started and, and continue that. Obviously, they're dominating recruiting in the Sooner State now. Uh, moving to Kansas, Missouri, that's probably next step for those guys. No change in the uh, team recruiting rankings this week. OU is number six, according to Rivals, in the team recruiting rankings, number seven, according to 24-7 Sports, and number nine, uh, according to On3. Those are the same exact as what they were last week. So uh, maybe Shield Knight changes some of that. If he were to commit to Oklahoma tomorrow, we'll see. Uh, we don't know exactly what time. I saw 4 o'clock in the afternoon, but fact of the matter is I think he's doing it during his game or maybe slightly before his game. So uh, Randall will be there to bring it all to you. I think it'll be similar to a Nigel Smith situation where it's kind of like yeah. right before the game and then, boom, game time. Hopefully the Wi-Fi is working well. Yeah, hopefully better than it was in Melissa. <laughs> Good stuff, Randall. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Who? Yep, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. No, we'll be back post-game. Why do I say that? We'll be back post-game with the All Sooners post-game podcast Saturday night after the West Virginia game, certified fresh from the press box. You can find that show plus next week's and all of our shows on wherever you get your podcasts. That's Apple, that's Google, that's Spotify, that's Podbean, that's iHeart. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player there on that page and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all my shows are on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman and Randall Sweet, I am John Hoover. See you guys.